All right, thank you very much, Alyssa and Mike, and uh, all you kids, thank you very much for coming up here and doing such a great job of uh, listening to uh, the story, a story that I'm going to kind of try to retell in some ways when I do the, the message now in the next couple of minutes, so that's fantastic. I, I'm sorry, um, so you guys can be distracted for just a moment. Uh, this is another illustration of church, actually. Uh, somebody here came and gave me a tie this morning and said they had been to a garage sale and uh, they had seen this tie and they had thought of me and so they wanted to give it to me and I thought it would be dishonoring to the gift if I wouldn't also then immediately wear it. So I didn't necessarily get to pick the shirt that would go best with the tie for this morning. Uh, I'll wear it just for a few minutes and if I see too many of you distracted by the tie then I'll, then I'll take it off. But if you guys are going to be real big and, uh, and you're going to uh, be able to focus on what I say, then maybe I can wear the tie for the whole message. I want to take just a few minutes this morning and go back uh, two weeks. I know that some of you were here, some of you were not. Uh, I want to submit one more idea to you regarding uh, what we called two weeks ago the, the one-talent man or the one-talent guy. And uh, those of you that were here a couple of weeks ago, you're going to remember a little bit, I hope, about this one-talent guy that we talked about. It was a story that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 25, where he speaks about the giving of the talents, where the master gives away the talents, and he kind of gives us two general truths first before he focuses on the key character of his story, which was the one-talent guy. Uh, the two kind of general truths that he gives us first that we took note of uh, in, Matthew, in this Matthew 25 story that Jesus tells was, first of all, that we need to remember that every gift and ability and resource and talent that we have is something that we've been, now this is the key word, entrusted with. It's something that we have been given. It's not something that is ours inherently. It's been entrusted to us it's still owned by somebody else, but it is in our trust to do with as we think the master or the owner would like us to do with that gift or ability or resource or talent or whatever it is. So the first general truth was everything you have and are, abilities, resources, talents, etc., everything is entrusted to you. The second kind of general truth that we looked at was that we need to remember to invest. That which has been entrusted to you, which the master has put in your trust, is not just given to you for your own pleasure or for a safekeeping. It was given to you so that you would take it and somehow find a way to invest it further. And whenever we make investments... I think most of us are familiar enough with finances. We know that when we make an investment, we plan on, or the goal is that there is going to be some type of a return. And so when we invest what has been placed in our trust, we expect that there will be a return for the master, for the one who puts something in trust with us. And so entrusted and invest are kind of the two general truths. And then Jesus goes in this story 
And then he jumps over and he kind of focuses a little bit uh, more specifically on the key character of his story, which is uh, what we're going to call the, uh, the one-talent man or the one-talent guy. And we realized fairly quickly as we talked about this or thought about this that most of us can actually identify relatively well with this one-talent guy. Most of us are not the the Billy Grahams of the world, or the Andy Stanleys of the world, or the Ben Shapiros of the world. We're kind of rural, uh, southern Manitoba, common folk for the most part. We are just kind of average, normal people. We're one-talent people. We can, we can identify with this idea of the one-talent guy. It makes sense for us to identify with him, and to then also listen, what is it that Jesus says about, or what does this one-talent guy illustrate for us that we then should also take note of? And we recognize very quickly as we read the story, we find this one-talent guy being the, the, the man who was also entrusted with one talent. Uh, one talent was placed in his trust by the master, and he decided that he would go and bury that one talent. He would make sure it stayed safe, but then he would not do anything with it until the master came back, and then he would take it, that safe uh, uh, talent, and he would bring it back to the master. And if you read the story, uh, Jesus makes a couple of very clear points about this idea of safekeeping his one talent, and Jesus, he's reprimanded. This one talent guy is reprimanded for the way that he treated his one talent, for what he did or didn't do with that one talent. And we ask the question, why not invest? What held this one talent guy back from investing, from putting to use that one talent? And uh, the guy himself, the one talent guy himself, confesses to the fact that a big part of it was fear. He was afraid. And, and most of us can kind of identify. Yeah, it's, I, I'm sometimes afraid. I'm sometimes afraid of investing. I'm sometimes afraid of sticking out my neck. I'm sometimes afraid of trying something that I've never done before. I, I, fear, yeah, I get it. It, it. it holds us back from investing that which has been entrusted to us very often. Um, the master says there's another reason. The master says it's also because you were lazy. And we look at ourselves, or selfish, and we look at ourselves, and oh, yeah, I, I, I get it, I get it. Yeah, there are times when I don't invest because I'm either lazy or I'm selfish. I don't want to put in the time and the energy. I don't want to make the eff extra effort. Um, it doesn't fit into the lifestyle that I've got planned for this stage of my life. Um, I, it, it, do, it just doesn't fit, and so let's put it over there, and let's not worry about it. And so that's another reason why, why not invest. But then there's that third little reason, and we call it he was false-hearted, or he thought wrong about kingdom life. And this is where I want to submit an additional thought to what I spoke about two weeks ago. I was speak, uh, visiting with somebody this week, a very much a, a blue-collar guy from another community. I was having breakfast with him, and, and, he, said to, and he said to me, I wasn't even sharing this with him specifically, but he was talking to me about something else. And, and he said to me, uh, uh, he put it like this, Darren, it's because people don't think that their little one talent matters. 
I'm going, oh. So this, this thing about thinking wrong about kingdom life. And then he goes on, he said, in fact, many people don't even think that they have one talent. That which they do have is not even significant enough to be called a talent. And I'm guessing there's some of you sitting here today that think exactly like that. I don't even really want to call it a talent. I, it's, just a, it's just a little thing that I do from time to time. It's not even really worth calling a talent. It, it, and it's such a little thing that it, it just really doesn't even, doesn't even really matter. And the guy goes on, he says, Darren, our world talks so much about doing great things for God and going out and changing the world and dreaming big and on and on. And here I am with my one little tiny talent. In fact, like I said, I'm not even totally sure it's worthy of being called a talent. I mean, all I do is take a few older people to their doctor's appointments once in a while. What's that? All I did last week was drop off a plate of cookies to some people and they didn't even look that good. I mean, the cookies, not the people. Um, they probably didn't taste that great either, actually. I, I probably shouldn't even have done that. You know, all, all I do is actually is pray for people. All I do is take care of a few young children once in a while when their moms are having a Bible study. All, all I actually do is change light bulbs at church. I mean, anybody could do that. All I know how to do actually is to make money, and I give a little bit of that. And Well, all I know how to do is to sing. I mean, what... What's the big deal about that? Anybody could really go up there and sing. I mean, my one little talent, if I can even call it that, it, it's, it's really nothing. What I do doesn't, doesn't really matter. It, it's, it's really nothing. And I want to stand up here this morning and I want to say, in the name of Jesus, that's a lie. It's an incorrect way of thinking that we have been tricked into by the devil. My brothers and sisters, your little one talent is very, very important. Please, please, please don't call it nothing. It was entrusted to you. It was placed into your trust by the master. It is his and it is worth investing. The abilities and the resources you have, they matter. The Bible clearly says if you so much as give a cup of cold water to somebody... It will not go unnoticed. That's about as simple and as basic as it gets. And God sees it and he says, yes, yes, that's kingdom living right there. See, this talent story is about kingdom living. It's about how we do kingdom life here on earth. And God says, yes, that's it. Another place he says, and whatever you do as unto the Lord. That's kingdom living. It matters. The one little talent, whatever it is, it matters in the kingdom. And this guy goes on and he says to me, tell them, Darren, tell them. Tell them it matters. And so I'm telling you people, it matters. Your one little talent, whatever it is, it matters. In fact, over and over in the Bible, there's a picture that in the kingdom of God, listen up, in the kingdom of God, things are often upside down. And the things that we think don't really matter at all, they're actually the most amazing things in the world. 
and the things that we think are the great and mighty things, they're actually not that significant. And the people that we think are the greatest in the world are going to be the servants of all. And the people that are servants of all are going to be the greatest. The first will be last and the last will be first. God gives us the impression that in the kingdom, in his kingdom, in real kingdom life, things are often upside down from how we think they are in our big, big world. Your one little talent matters. It's huge. Place it at God's disposal. Invest it. Find a way somewhere, somehow. And I'll be honest with you, I don't actually want people who are focused on doing great things for God. I'm not that impressed with, or we don't need people here who dream big. We need people who see their one little talent as something that's worth investing. And I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I'm going to use it however I can because that one little talent matters. So, that's the little tag on to the message from two weeks ago. Your one little talent matters. We asked the question two weeks ago, why not? Why wouldn't I invest? And we came up with these answers. Today we want to ask the question, so why would I? Why would I invest? And I think we've begun to answer that question in some ways already, but I want to, I want to take you to Colossians chapter 1 as we flip that question uh, around and ask it uh, in, in this sense, you know, why would I? Why would I pour out my life and my resources contributing to the lives of other people? Why would I work hard contributing to the life of the church? Why would I get involved? Why would I spend my time and my energy on serving others both in the church and in the wider community? Why not simply live for myself and my pleasure and my financial gain and for the strength of my little family? Why open up and pour out? Well, first of all, one quick little reminder that needs to remain uh, a kind of as a backdrop to this discussion, and that is remember, continue to remember, the word entrusted, okay? So, first of all, what we have is not actually ours, is not actually mine. It's been entrusted, to, it's been placed in your trust. Okay, so that's just kind of something to remember as the backdrop as we answer this question, why would I? Why would I pour out and invest in the lives of, of others? Why would I pour out and invest in the life of the church? And I told you already that we're going to go to Colossians chapter 1 as we uh, try to answer that question. I, I already told you, I think, at the beginning of summer that I've spent a fair bit of time this, uh, this last year in the book of Colossians. And I challenge you to memorize Colossians chapter 3, verses 11 to 17. We're not going to do a show of hands here, but uh, some of you have already done that. Some of you are still working on it. Some of you had the best intentions to do it. 
yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. And now all of a sudden you look at the calendar and you see we're the first day of September and actually you haven't yet started memorizing. I want to tell you there's never a bad time to start memorizing. So, so still grab a hold of the little challenge and do it from here on in. Colossians chapter 3, 11 to 17. It's a little section I believe that's worth memorizing and planting in your mind um, as, as something that's going to turn around there and it's going to impact because it also very much is about kingdom living. So that's Colossians 3. But today we want to look at Colossians chapter 1. I believe it answers this question. Why? Why invest? Why pour out? So let me read Colossians chapter 1 and I'm going to start with reading verses 3 to 8. I want, to, I want you to see this in your own Bibles if you have it or on your device. Pull it up. Uh, follow along. Colossians chapter 1 verses 3 to 8. Um, we're not going to have the whole script up on the screen. There's going to be a couple of the highlights that are in that section, but not the whole entire script. So pull it up and follow along. Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 3. By the way, how's the distraction going? Are you guys okay still? It's working? Don't have to take it off? Okay. <coughs> Colossians 1, verse 3. We always thank... <coughs> excuse me. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. And that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is producing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Jesus on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Why would you invest? Why would you pour out rather than just keeping it for yourself, rather than hiding it and keeping it for yourself? Here's my first answer. Because you are already doing it. And you go, well, Darren, that's, that's actually not that brilliant. Um, maybe not, and maybe yes. You want to invest because you are already doing it. You are already investing. You are already serving and loving and making a difference and bearing fruit. If you take a look at these verses that I just read, especially verse 6, all over the world this gospel is producing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it. Take a good look and you will see that you are already doing it. You are already serving. You are already pouring out. Because he says, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. You are already doing it. Look around. Take a good look. Thank God. Recognize. It's a little bit like that talent thing. Recognize. Admit. Believe that you are already doing it. And then, keep going. I have to admit uh, that this is, there's, there's something in here that grabs my attention because it's a little bit of a struggle for a guy like me. Uh, those of us that are uh, trying to recruit volunteers for things. It goes for Sunday school teachers or youth sponsors or Awana leaders or festival committee planners and on and on and on and on. Those of us that feel called to, to be the kind of people that will make things happen as far as programs and, and good programs. Programs that help change lives for the better. better. Here's our problem. 
we are always tempted to focus only on the positions that still need to be filled. Did you hear me? Our problem tends to be that we always focus on the positions that still need to be filled. Those things that, that still need to be done, but it seems that there is nobody willing to do them. And, and we, we those of us who are, who are the recruiters, we, we usually see the people that we think should be doing them, and we see the people that we think should be doing more, according to us anyways, and often we fail to see all that is already happening. All that is already being done. All the time and the energy that people are already putting into this and that and the other thing. And the difference that the gospel is already making. And we are tempted to work the guilt a little bit and do whatever we can or whatever we have to do in order to get all the positions filled. And we, I, need to stop sometimes and realize how much is already happening. And that is what Paul does here as he starts the letter. He says, before we go any further, let me tell you that when I look at all of you, I thank God because of what I see you guys all involved in. I thank God most of all for all of your faith, and I thank God for the incredible love that you have for each other. And I think there's a reason why he kind of elevates those two above anything else. First and foremost, it's, it's critical that we, have, that we have a growing faith, and secondly, that we have an incredible love for each other. And he elevates those two and he says, first, before I go say anything else, let me just tell you, I see it and I thank God for it. For what you are already doing. What you are already involved in. And he thanks God. And I want to tell you here this morning that I thank God. When I look at you and I see the way that you encourage each other and bless each other and love each other and build each other up, I thank God. I thank God for the PV Church family and sometimes we need to relax a little bit and allow the church to just be the church and we need to allow as leaders those of us that are the recruiters we need to sometimes just relax a little bit and let you let the church let us be who we want to be and if certain programs don't get enough volunteers then somehow we scale back or we change things up a little bit because you guys are the church and we all together we decide by what we volunteer in and what we don't volunteer in which things we think should be critical to keep running and how they should keep running sometimes we leaders you know we become so passionate and sometimes we get this thing flipped around and we leaders we become so passionate about this thing and this thing is supposed to go and I'm gonna make this thing happen and we end up I end up standing up here or others we end up standing up here and we say you know take a look at this you guys need to help me get this thing done upside down it's not about me it's not about what I want in fact I hope this makes sense. In fact, I, I sometimes think that, that North America, kind of the church, the pastor thing, has kind of gotten flipped upside down in that um, it's actually you guys that decide what you want to do as a church, and then you find somebody, and you hire that person to come and help you get it done. Uh, and often we've got that flipped around. And the pastor stands up here and he decides what's supposed to happen. And then he asks you to help me get it done. It needs to be the other way around. You need to tell us. Or we need to decide all together. 
And then we need to do it all together. But it's not about anybody telling you. We are here to serve you, not the other way around. And we need to be reminded of that. So, you are already doing it. The second answer to this question, why? Why would I invest? The second answer to this question is because the church is the body of Christ. Now, I want to read for you uh, again here in Colossians chapter 1, but starting with verse 15. Some of these verses were also in the bulletin. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, talking about Jesus, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So he just elevates Jesus to an incredible position. And then listen to what he says, beginning of verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. And as I was preparing this week, I was asking myself over and over again, do I, do I believe that? Do I believe that we are the body of Christ? Do you believe that we are actually the body of this Jesus that it's speaking about here, the creator, the sustainer, the first and the last, the one that's over and above everything else, he, do we believe that we are his body, his representation here on earth? Do I believe that? And then Paul says in verse 24, For the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me. We are his body and if you keep reading actually the beginning of verse 24 there's some very interesting terminology beginning of verse 24 where Paul says now I rejoice in what has was suffered for you and I fill and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions and if we take a look at what he's been speaking about, he's been speaking about uh, the sacrifice of Jesus' death on the cross and how that has brought reconciliation and hope and peace, forgiveness to all of you. And then here he says something and he, he makes it sound as if uh, after Jesus has done all of that, there's still something lacking. And he, in his flesh, is going to work at fulfilling what is still lacking. And it doesn't seem quite right because I have preached and I think we all believe that when Jesus was done with his death on the cross and his resurrection from the tomb, it was, and Jesus said it himself when he was hanging on the cross, it is finished. The price is paid in full. And so we ask, so what is still lacking? What are we being called to fill or to complete in our flesh? Here's my answer, the best I understand it. We are being asked or commissioned to live this out in our world as a group of people together with our hands and our feet and our mouths. With our energy and abilities and resources and gifts and talents, we, the body of Christ, are being commissioned to live out, if you check verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What does that look like? We are being asked to show the world 
What does that look like? This is something that Jesus couldn't do. Jesus couldn't by himself, even though he did the death on the cross and all, he paid the price in full, but he could not by himself reveal to the world or show the world what it looks like when a group of people do that together. When a group of people live kingdom life together, Jesus was unable by himself to reveal that or to exemplify that for the world. And he's saying, I want you to fill what was still lacking after I was finished what I did. And what was still lacking is that you, in your flesh and blood, together as a group of people, show the world what this looks like. That's what we are called to here at Pleasant Valley. Why invest? Because we are the body of Christ. And we are called and we are being commissioned by Jesus himself. We're being commissioned to reveal to the world what that looks like what it looks like to do kingdom living here on earth. Why invest? Follow me to verse 28 and 29. Obviously, we're coming to the end of the chapter. And so stick with me here for a couple more minutes. Colossians 1, 28. Why are we, why would we invest? Listen to 28 and 29. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Here we go. Why? So that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all, I like this, his energy which so powerfully works in me. Why? So that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. And as I read that in my preparation this past week, I had a little vision. I had the vision of all these kids up at the front. Exactly the way it was today and the way it was two weeks ago over here. I saw all the children in our church come up to the front for the kids feature. I saw them. Our benches are full of children, praise God. And I read these words. So that we may present them all perfect in Christ. To this end I labor. Struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. This is our job, people. This is our commission. That we would not lose any of these children that come up to the front here for children's feature. That we would not lose any that are among us. Not just children, but young, young people. Young adults. We are on a mission to ensure that every one of them tastes the love of God, the full measure of the reconciliation that is available to everyone because of the physical death of Jesus on the cross that we have talked about. We are not just having Sunday school. We are not just running a youth program. We are not just asking for a few more Awana volunteers. We are not just over and over kind of asking for counselors and kitchen staff and speakers and cooks at camp. We are not just asking for volunteers to babysit kids during the young mums group. We are not just asking for someone to clear the parking lot of snow in winter. We're not just asking for someone to keep the chairs warm in the sound booth or in the video booth back there on Sunday mornings. We're not just asking for someone to entertain the kids up here with a five-minute story every Sunday morning. We're not just asking for people to display their musical instrument abilities up here on a worship team on a Sunday morning. We have been given a mission 
to ensure that these children and these youth and these young adults and young parents and middle age and 55 plus and seniors, that they all come to understand and embrace and live in the joy of knowing that sins are forgiven and there is complete reconciliation with God. Praise God. And if you find any other mission on earth that's more worthy of your time, then go for it. But if you believe that the Bible teaches, then we are, what the Bible teaches, then you are called with everything you are to be involved in this mission together. And if you like the idea of church and being part of a group of people that love each other and care for each other and hold each other accountable, this is exactly what it's all about. Then you want to be investing your one talent or two, or five, or fifteen. You want your children and grandchildren and their friends and the kids in the community to have the chance to grow up knowing the hope that they can have in Jesus. The Bible tells us that the body of Jesus, His church, is called to take care of this job. This is the part of the job that Jesus did not do before he left for heaven. Maybe we can even say this is the part of the job that Jesus could not do on his own before he left for heaven. He needs his body, the church, to embrace this mission. We have a job. And unapologetically, in our church, we expect that you believe in this enough that you ask, how has God equipped me to contribute? Paul says... To this end I labor. My fellow PVers, let me tell you, you are already doing it. And those who have gone before us here have already been doing it. And this is a part of the reward, the, the investment. They have set an incredible example for us. Let's press on. Let's keep on doing it. Because we are the body of Christ. And he has commissioned us to do what he could not do. And that is to live this out as a body of believers here in our world. Amen.